Thank you for listening to Genza, a podcast about parenting Generation Z and Generation Alpha kids. For us, parents born in the previous century, the world is defined into a physical real world and the online other, two different worlds. For our digital native kids, this world is one. How do we navigate a world that we do not fully understand? How do we go from waging technology wars to becoming curious explorers? For this episode, we asked a group of kids, 10 to 14 years old, from all over the world to share their views with us on why technology is important to them and what should parents know. I think it was a smart idea to use screen time. I think that if our parents had social media in their time they would be just as addicted or as they say have a problem as we do right now i don't think my parents have any concerns about me using technology and even if they did i don't think they would be justified because i'm pretty capable of dealing with something like a problem if it comes along my parents do have the right to be concerned about social media because it can be quite dangerous people can post whatever they like to discuss technology wars i'm joined by ala bashenko a digitally minded investor and board advisor ala graduated from brown university and is a published poet along her successful career in investment banking she's a mother of a teen boy based in london hello ala hi kata and maria munich a freelance writer and formerly executive editor at immediate media For the last decade, Maria has prioritized her role as a mom of three kids as the family moves within Europe every couple of years. She's based in Barcelona, moving to Amsterdam as we speak. Hello, Maria. Hi, Katja. Hello. Thank you for joining me today. Ala, what do you think? At what age does technology become disruptive? So the way I think about it is it doesn't become an issue for our kids. It becomes an issue for us. The Gen Zs and Alphas, they weren't exposed to the analog world at all. This is the only world they know. So I do believe in terms of disruption that that occurs immediately as they get engaged with technology because their brain begins to function differently from ours, essentially. So these generations we're focusing on in this podcast, right? It'll be really interesting to see them grow up because their ways of thinking are just completely different from ours. They, it's the only world they know. Very true. Maria, is that the same for you? I think that's absolutely right. I do think it's an issue in that it affects the relationships that children can have with their parents. So it, what is an issue for us obviously becomes an issue for them as well by its nature. But I think Ala's completely right that to them, it's just second nature. It's what they're used to. You can shield them from it to a degree when they're very young. You can uh, hold back for a while, but at some point they have to learn how to handle themselves with it. They're digital natives. We are coming from a completely different world. How do we create those rules for a world we, we don't fully understand? We have had the technology wars over the past few years. I think I'm giving in, actually. I've come to realization that the most important law to set is make them understand 
the safety component of it. And they really need to understand it. They need to get on board with you because you can hardly impose it. I mean, you know, I had my son's passcode to his iPhone for a while. You know, I certainly don't now. He's 13, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they need to understand it themselves. As far as other laws, you want to limit the time, especially when they're younger, but essentially they will start making those choices themselves. I think it's very difficult to set laws because mm -hmm. it, it doesn't. It becomes the relationship you don't want to have with your kids if you start imposing things and they don't understand why because it is the only world that they know. It is the only way to communicate with their peers that they know. The key is try and have an open dialogue and, and get them on board with what your concerns are. Mm -hmm. So if you are trying to limit the airtime, explain why. I, at 13, I gave up, actually. I officially give up because I think my son is entitled to make his own choices. And um, sadly, he doesn't read books. Uh, that's a regret I have. I know, I know some kids mm -hmm. who do, you know, but he reads a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, and, I'm, I'm, and I think why I was so excited about participating in this podcast, I think we need to understand their world better. We, half analog, half digital generation, need to get on with the program. When was uh, your son allowed various things like the phone, social media, PlayStation? What's your point of view on that? He watched cartoons and stuff on, on iPhone and iPad probably since age four or five. You know, PlayStation and other games. I mean, Minecraft, oh God, I remember the age of Minecraft, mm -hmm. yeah. seven, eight. He started gaming. As he's evolved, he's actually playing the games a lot less and it's become a lot about social media. Mm -hmm. Maria, are you into rules? Have you held off on electronics more? What's your point of view? So I have a child who is eight, a child who is 11 and a 14 year old. I definitely have held off a lot. From my point of view, it's it is the reality that it's, we live in a digital connected world. They have to learn how to handle themselves in that world, but they also have to take the right steps at the right time for age appropriate steps. I think we're, we're talking about all these technologies, but they're actually, for me, they're very distinct technologies. So we're talking about screen time and that's a really broad category. And a TV watching is screen time, right? Um, and that to me is very different to spending time on social media, which is very different to reading the news online because you're not buying a newspaper or, you know, so there are different categories of how they use the screen. I don't treat it all the same. So internet usage, to some degree, they have to start using that quite young because they use it in school quite young. You have to teach your children how to research your age seven-year-old children will be sometimes given homework that involves them researching online. You know, my eight-year-old has that already. In terms of a phone it's it's a tool right so if my children are out and about on their on their own then sure they're going to need a phone because i want them to be able to contact me so my 14 year old has a phone he go you know he is down at the skate park he's going to let me know he's going to be home half an hour or an hour later my 11 year old isn't getting around about town on her own she's not taking herself to after school clubs so to my mind she doesn't need a phone in terms of playstation it's kind of passed us by, to be honest. None of my kids have been interested, and I'm aware that I am so lucky with that. It's just a 
a freak accident. I don't know how it happened. It's very interesting what you're saying. They are very, very different things. Where, are, where do our concerns really lie? Well, for me, I think this is a really important point. I, I talked about safety earlier. Like Maria said, you know, when your kid goes out of the house on their own, and my son's been doing that for the past couple of years, I guess. He's quite a grown-up 13-year-old, I have to say. Um, I definitely would want to know where he is, though, and with who he is. Uh, it's the same with the internet, right? So you can control it with um, child protective settings until a certain time, and that. but then you really need to know that you've conveyed your thoughts, they are understood, and then the kids, the teenagers especially, you know, are, are minding their own safety. The same with the physical world as it is in the digital world, essentially. And that's, I think, what we need to get our head around. The other, you make a really important point there, which is that maturity is, is really important. So you have these broad benchmarks, right? You have your own personal settings of what you think is a more or less appropriate age for a phone, for um, iPad, whatever usage. But it so much depends on the maturity of the child um, and the situation that the child is, is, is living in. Connected to that, uh, let's hear from the kids. How much do they use technology and what do they do? I spend around five to six hours, maybe four, most of the time on either Snapchat or Instagram. On those apps, I just text or see what my friends and other people are doing. I also spend time on YouTube and TikTok, consuming content. I usually spend the majority of my screen time on remote learning, which is about five or six hours a day. And then I spend maybe two hours a day playing games on my iPad. I spend maybe 20 minutes um, a day at, on average messaging or looking at social media, um, about 20 minutes reading the news in the morning. Um, I also use it to look at stuff like guitar or Rubik's cubing tutorials because I basically solve Rubik's cube as fast as I can. So I use it to learn um, different processes of YouTube um, and also to listen to music in the evening or listen to some kind of radio or podcast in the evening because I often find that's quite relaxing. Four to five hours watching Netflix and texting my friends. I use it mostly for entertainment but I also like writing on my phone because there's not always a notebook nearby. On a usual day after school I'd usually watch 20 minutes to half an hour of TV but during the pandemic we have more time so it's um, usually around an hour every day. Well, my average on my iPad is three to four hours. I like to play video games like Roblox mm -hmm. and Minecraft. I like to play with friends online. I think the common thread in their technology uses is communication. What strikes me is just the amount of hours, you know, five, six hours of just online schooling plus you know, say two hours, three hours on the phone, plus if there is TV. As we mentioned before, I think there are so many different uses of screen. I put them in different boxes, but at the end of the day, they are all screen time. So there's kind of their relaxation screen time, whether that would be social media or in some kids' uh, instances, it would be playing games or watching TV, this kind of downtime, leisure time. And then there's obviously the educational purposes. Um, for me, I try and get the children to, to view the technology as 
as it's a tool, right? The important thing is to learn to use the technology to make it work for you and not let yourself become a slave to the technology. And that starts, as Alice says, that starts really, really early from when they're when they first see screens, when they pick up your phone. And it, it depends, a lot depends on, on what you model to them. Do you think the pandemic has had a lasting effect on the increased technology use? We are highly likely to have periods of, of homeschooling. Um, again, I think that's quite likely. My older two children were on full days. They had to sign in online every lesson. I'm sure probably yours did too. So they were in front of the computer, they do some offline work as well, but they were in front of the computer all day. Uh, I think actually it worked really well because the children could work a lot at their own pace. One of the really interesting things I found about that whole experience was that after the initial novelty value of being on, oh, we need to be online, we get to be on our screens all day, that wore off and they had had enough. They didn't want another video conference with someone, they didn't want to after they'd contacted their, their really close friends, they didn't want to spend hours online. They didn't want to look at the screen anymore. They really craved physical uh, contact and communication with people. They wanted just to see their friends. And I think the whole experience has really helped them really understand the difference that there is between interaction in a social media sense and why it's always going to be different to sit down with your friend and have a chat. I think... I think they get that now, um, and I think in that way it's been really helpful. Uh, same experience on my side, and our kids are similar age. It's almost like they've gone back to the playground, right? They've gone back to the physical playground that they <laughs> haven't seen in ages. And 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 my son also really craved seeing his his friends live. I found the whole online learning experience quite painful. I I didn't interfere, but I thought that the kids were sort of bedazzled towards the end of the day after these endless online sessions where, you know, the teachers don't even switch on the camera half the time. And, you know, sometimes I'd walk into my son's room and he'd be sleeping there with, with some teacher lecturing. And he got this term, this very difficult online term. He got the best grades he's ever gotten in nine years. And the way he explained it to me, I said, but you were sleeping half the time, you know, or listening to music muted out. And he said, but I still did all the work. I just did it on my own time. When I started easing off of him in terms of uh, the amount of time he spends online is when I saw that he, um, he kind of, he's gone through the whole games period. It's, it's, it's less now, if any, actually. So when I say he's on social media, he's very much interacting with other people. And it actually started with games like Fortnite, when a few of them would get together and play and be able to speak live. And now it's Instagram, Snapchat, uh, I mean, WhatsApp, House Party has been very popular uh, mm. through, through the lockdown. They, that's how they interact and they've missed each other through, through lockdown. Um, also... I mean, I, I keep an eye on my son's Instagram and what I see, I actually like. He expresses himself there. So he'd be putting together playlists and put some visual content around that. So it's not all, it's not all bad, is what I'm saying. You need to set those foundations and I think you need to start early. How early would you start talking about it? It's probably age four or five. And, and when he started getting 
into games and when they do that early there are some games which are quite addictive and they're made that way on purpose right i would need yeah. to explain to him that he needs to play less because if you wake up at 5 a.m being say five or six or seven years old whichever age and you go and grab your ipad to play the game you need to understand that that's not normal you need to go back to sleep right and he got it eventually he got it uh, so during during the quarantine they actually saw us at home that they saw the parents and they're constantly right we're constantly in front of the screens the phones did that set a new example did that change something so what I found really interesting is that my son would sit in and listen in to my Zoom work meetings, being genuinely interested in asking me questions. Yeah, he preferred that to online schooling. He, he's become genuinely interested in what I do, what the meetings are about, who are the people I'm seeing, et cetera, et cetera. So I sit on a few boards and I was having a conversation with, with, a, with one of the chairmen of, of, of another company, which board I might be joining. And I was talking about myself my life, my career, right? I mean, as, as one does, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, well, there you go. And I realized at the end of it, as he started asking me questions that, you know, we might not ever had as comprehensive a discussion about my life mm. and my career. So it started with that. And then he started being really interested in, you know, it's a board meeting, what kind of company is it? What are you talking about today? Why is the meeting so long? Well, it's about risk, what kind of risk? You know, so um, I think that struck sort of an entrepreneurial note in him, in a way, which pleased me very much because I am an entrepreneur at heart myself. I think, yeah, the quarantine actually started new trends. Has technology killed reading in the old sense? Just like books at one point revolutionized the world. Digital media has now revolutionized the world again. I think it's reading physical books versus reading online is what it is, isn't it? Uh, and the difference there, I think, is that consumption of online content, both for the kids and for us, you sift through the information, right? That's rarely a profound read. Sometimes it is, but more, more of the time we try to sift through the information, try to synthesize it. So for them, it's even more instilled in their head, right? That they can Google anything. The information is so readily available, you know. Um, what I'm curious about is that we grew up having to think about how to solve problems. They sort of feel a lot of the time that all the problems are instantly solvable because the information mm -hmm. is so readily available. So it's a different, the brain works differently, which is why I think it's really interesting to see what they're like as adults and how they think about things, because for sure they'll be thinking differently about things. There are gonna be different kinds of investors, there are gonna be different kinds of CEOs, right? It's gonna be different kinds of entrepreneurs. Um, it's both scary and exciting. Maria, I'm interested uh, to hear what you think. Are, are kids reading less? You know, I really don't think so. It's not my experience. I'm, I'm lucky in that all my kids are avid readers, all three of them. Um, I'm also lucky in that they don't actually have much interest in social media so far. So my 14-year-old uses WhatsApp to make arrangements and he recently joined um, Instagram. And I know he's in contact with some old friends on Instagram. 
But in terms of TikTok and Snapchat, he doesn't consider it a particularly good use of his time. I have two girls who are younger, who are going to be different, I am sure, when they get to that stage. There they are. I'm pretty sure that they'll be lean more interested, being interested in social media. At the moment, it's, it's having said that, they absolutely love reading. Um, and I, I don't see that changing. They want to escape into, uh, they want to escape into worlds through books every bit as much as, as I did when I was that age. Um, and they also want to escape into the TV. If, 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 if anything, for me, it's more the, the issue of how much TV they watch rather than uh, social media time. That's not so much at the moment, as I say, and I'm really aware it can change. And you've held, held out, right? So they are getting the, say, social media accounts. Um, so your boy got it when, it, so after 13 years old, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he only got his phone when he was 13. He got WhatsApp to make arrangements, as I said. And then my approach to social media is that we see it, we take it on a case-by-case -case basis. So we have an agreement that he doesn't download any apps onto his phone without discussing it with us. So we you know, discuss it together, we'll have a look at the app. So we say, if there's an app that all your friends are using that you feel left out, then let's go on that together. Let's have a look at it. Let's work it out and see if it's something that's going to be a useful tool for you. Um, so it's not, mm -hmm. it's not rigid, but it's definitely a case-by-case -case basis. Um, uh, and so far, as I say, so far, he, mm -hmm. I'm not directing him. I haven't said to him, you can't have Snapchat. I haven't said to him, uh, you can't use TikTok. But he's also not interested in having those things. The way I approach it with my children is that I really want them to make a conscious decision about the way they spend their time, regardless of what the distractions are. And it's not just online. There's all kinds of distractions. Um, out there, it's very easy just to fritter away time. So I do encourage them to think about every day, especially in the holidays, to think about what they want to do with their day. What do you want to get done today? What do you, how do you want to spend your time? And it could be, I want to watch a movie, I want to just jam around on my guitar. It's fine, as long as you make that conscious choice, that's how you're going to spend your time. And we talk about, you know, there being these warning flags that if you find yourself just scrolling through something or just doing something you know it's absolutely fine if you've decided today I need to spend the afternoon just relaxing I just need to disconnect relax fine but make that your conscious choice not because something or somebody has just pulled you into it and you're doing it without without thinking about what you're doing. Ally I wanted to ask you what role do you think peer pressure plays so I think what Maria was describing is I mean, it sounds like you have it figured out. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here taking notes. I have experienced kids feeling left out much earlier than 13 years of age. I wonder if it's peer pressure or it's just part of their reality in terms of how they communicate, you see? Um, having mm. these group chats on various apps and um, that's supplementary to spending time live with each other. I know my son is enjoying being connected to people virtually who he doesn't see much, often, maybe he's enjoying uh, the content coming out from a wider variety of people. I, 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 I don't have experience of severe peer pressure. I should say it's more desire of being social. It, it, that's what has been in our case. It's amazing how every family is different, isn't it? 13, 14 for me is the critical age where, 
you want to give them their privacy, you don't want to intrude, you want, to, you want them to already have been enabled to make these decisions for themselves, as you were saying, Ala, you need to equip them to make those decisions for themselves because when they're 13, 14, you've got to let them go a bit. So we did have issues definitely around, not peer pressure, uh, but feeling left out. So when my son didn't have a phone before, he was being taken to school, being picked up, taken everywhere. And I said, look, I don't think you need a phone. Uh, and all his friends then, of course, were beginning to communicate, make arrangements through WhatsApp or just chat. Uh, and we talked about it a lot. And he said, Mark, they're all in school talking about Snapchat and this uh, and that. Uh, so we, we talked about it. And before he had a phone, I said, OK, apart from what they're doing on their phones, what else do they talk about in school? And he said, well, football. Are you interested in football? Yeah, sure. I said, OK, then you use your time in the morning, if you want, just read through the sports news before you go into school. So in the car on the way to school, he would read through the sports news so that when he got to school, he would be able to talk about the sports stuff. And, it, and that was also because he'd said to me, and don't get me wrong, I said, it wasn't that I said to him, you can't have social media. He said to me, they are all talking about this. It's really boring. I don't want to talk about what happened on Snapchat. I want to talk about other stuff. So, you know, we tried to find the stuff that other people were talking about that he could then connect with. And that started out as football. And it was a, you know, that was a short, relatively short time period in the end when he was getting around on his own he got his phone he makes his own arrangements but I also want to be flexible because I don't want the children to feel left out at the same time I don't want other people making the decisions for me about uh, about my children how they're grown up just because everybody else has it doesn't mean to say that it's appropriate for for my kids media I kind of designed to make you addicted the way TikTok is and Snapchat it's very episodical and uh, it's very very well designed so does it kind of has an impact on their mental health is there a case for addiction or am I like are we overreacting I think it could I think their potential is absolutely there for it to have an impact on their mental health I mean who hasn't watched one too many of an episode and felt kind of slightly self-disgusted afterwards and thought, oh my god I should have gone to bed 40 minutes ago and I've watched you know we've all we've all done it and if it you know if that becomes a habit then obviously it, it doesn't make you feel good I think for me the the key to that is educating the children talking to them and making them aware so they know what a website is trying to do so they understand how the websites work and uh and how their buttons are potentially being pushed. And like, they're absolutely capable of, of understanding that. They, you know, they, they, and they can see it. Um, and I think they understand that a lot quicker than maybe you would, you would expect them to. You know, they, mm-hmm. And if they can see the potential for being manipulated, then they, they can just guard against it themselves. And they go, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ala, what do you think? I completely agree. And I think that... Well, the first step is for us ourselves to understand <laughs> the effects on, yeah. on, 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 on us and our mental health of the addictive stuff. I've talked to my son about addiction a lot through his gaming years, except, you know, through TikTok usage right now. He understands. I think he's doing too much of it. But what, what his view is, is that if we grew up like they grew up, 
we'd be doing the same thing. And I've been reflecting on that recently. Probably right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Like, I've been reflecting on that, you know, and that's what prompted me to think, you know, it's the only world we know. Look, I grew up in the Soviet Union and I'm familiar with the concept. It was the only world we knew, unlike any other world out there at the time. What is it that we can do? It's what's, you said that you did start thinking about it. What could be the solutions against the addictive nature of it? How can they have built that self-restraint? I, I think only by genuine understanding of what it means um, for their mental health, for their ability to communicate, for, you know, Why is it that we say you're obsessed, you're spending too much time? Just saying it just doesn't cut it anymore. They need to understand mm -hmm. why we're saying it. And actually, we first need to understand why we are saying it. That's so true. I was trying to have a very honest conversation with myself, actually. What is it that drives me insane if I just see them you know, in front of TikTok or Snapchat for hours on end? Um, and I think it's what Maria was saying. It's that mindlessness, in a way, is, is, is just kind of passing the time without a purpose. Was TV really that much different? Like, I think about, look back, I think about the amount of time I spent as a child watching television, and I think I'm quite scandalized. Yeah, I think, oh my God, we spent hours watching TV. How could mom let that, you know, it's crazy. It's not a new battleground. I wanted to share this with you. My aunt, uh, quite a few years ago, I remember her telling me that when she was younger, her parents had a rule which was no fiction before midday. And I thought that was really funny because that, that was their world, right? In, in their world, they, were not, they had to read factual books before midday and then after midday they were allowed to indulge in a little bit of fiction. Whereas now we're just like, please take a book, read it, you know, sit down. The same themes... Um, <laughs> come up again and again or when I was younger it used to be the amount of time someone would spend on the phone It'd be hours in their bedroom chatting on the phone to a friend you know and now they do that but they're just texting on the phone so some of the themes remain the same it's just the the medium slightly different I think the medium is just it's it, it all consolidated into one yeah. that's why you kind of don't know what they're doing because it's just in front of one screen but they could be reading fiction yeah they could be uh, uh, you know uh, devising songs what Allah was saying you know they could be devising business yeah. strategies it's just that we don't know right <laughs> yeah that's I think that's you're absolutely right Katie that that's the thing that, that you don't know and I found that the hardest thing about the whole home learning situation this my daughter set so much work on her iPad and then I hadn't I without actually going and standing behind it I didn't know what she was doing um I just think there's also, there's so much positive uses to this technology. It can be so great for them. Like my son taught himself the guitar, uh, or it's continuing. He, he just, he wants to know how to play something. He goes and have a look on YouTube. He wants to know about a certain guitar. He goes off, he finds out, he researches. That for me is not time frittered away in front of a screen. That's active learning time and it's fantastic. And I'm super happy that they have those opportunities. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. That's actually a really good point. Um, Ala, do you think there are negatives or there are um, issues of positives as well with um, technology and social media? To me, the negative is the amount of dumb content out there. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, how the YouTuber industry and now with TikTok mm -hmm. and all the 
and everybody out there calling themselves an influencer and some of them aren't the best influence uh, uh, and sometimes you do need a bit of kind of steering from your parents and family explaining why that is uh, that's much more difficult to do in the digital world but kind of needs to be done some good content out there that's for sure but some useless content which is just as addictive unfortunately by design we asked the kids if their parents concerns are justified and what would they do if they were parents themselves let's hear what they have to say i don't think my parents have any concerns about me using technology and even if they did i don't think they would be justified because i'm pretty capable of dealing with something like a problem if it comes along and i just think it would mean that they have a lack of trust and they underestimate me if i was the parent i would tell them how great things are in real life as well and try to keep them not off necessarily but as close to reality and as little contact with their phones as possible i would also warn them how social media is so fake and how they shouldn't mask their personality through a profile or something like that and how they should just magnify who they are i think from a safety point of view it is completely justified for example how if someone had predatorial intent and they could get into my account which was public and they could do anything they wanted track my location or talk to me without my permission i think that's why mine and most other children's accounts are private from a young age which i've been taught and i've been using from snapchat to tiktok i think it is all correct but from another point of view i think that if our parents had social media in their time they would be just as addicted or as they say have a problem as we do right now i think that although we have the accessibility if they did they would have the same problem uh when i am a parent i think i would tell them obviously to keep a private account definitely no questions asked i would ask them to be safe and not accept anyone who they don't have any mutual friends with or just don't know because i think that it is important that people stay safe as my parents are concerned for me i would be concerned for my children it's good to have restrictions on the different websites you can go to as some of them can be inappropriate depending on your age it was a smart idea to use screen time so that you can limit your child's screen time well i wouldn't let them have any social media till 13 cuz that's the legal age in terms of screen time they would cope well with being able to make their own choices they'd listen more if they got to be more independent i mean there's some pretty inappropriate content out talk to them about people that abuse you online and steal your personal information and if you give out your pass codes they can take your money i think that social media would be would be actually fun but only if you only had contact with friends and you're 13 it is a potentially very dangerous place um social media and the internet because there's such vast places where any information you put on there is up forever so 
I really think that the concerns are justified, although they may seem unfair in the moment sometimes. If I were talking to my children, obviously this would be in a different time, but if we were imagining that it was now, I think that I tell them that it's important that it's part of their lives because, you know, all technology is progressing and as that happens, the world is following. And if people get left behind, you know, it's fine, you can live without it, but also it should be part of your life as, um, I think everyone should have the chance to be included in it, um, in that progression. Um, My parents do have the right to be concerned about social media because it can be quite dangerous. People can post whatever they like. My friend showed me that on Snapchat you can locate someone. Very, like, you just can locate someone because... Um, they have downloaded the app on their phone and in some cases this can be good because she lost her phone and they were able to find it because of that and let's say someone got lost then you can find them but there's also a lot of bad things about being able to locate someone in an instant. I would tell my children that there are boundaries of how far you can go on social media and not everyone is well-meaning um and uh, as technology grows it can get more dangerous more addictive and a waste of time what i found interesting there is balancing our role you know between not being the critic but not being their best friend either so the word i would use here is being an enabler figuring out how to enable them to make decisions uh, that would be responsive to our concerns is eventually on their own. For that, we need to figure out what the concern actually is, really formulate it in our head and be very clear. Absolutely. What the, con- what the concerns are, why we have them, do we really understand the context or we are just intuitively reacting? So our kids understand the safety. I think this is something that we're all very good at, to talk to them about, okay, you... You know, you really have to be safe, you have to have a closed account. What happens when they say something uh, or they make a mistake that on, on the internet can last forever because anyone can take a screenshot? A lot of it is happening now where anyone with a device or anyone with a social media account can take a view on the world or comment on something. Have you heard about online shaming and specifically cancel culture? I think. The cancel culture and, and online shaming are, are two really big problems and uh, I, have, I have quite a lot of difficulty with it. I think it's really unfortunate. I think, you know, society, to function really well, we need to be able to discuss things and we need to be able to talk about ideas but with respect for one another. And if people just immediately jump on someone because they don't quite like what they said, it wasn't expressed quite... Yes, you need to be careful about what you say, but you know that that there needs to be a mutual respect as as the basis for all for all communication. And when that mutual respect is lost, uh, you have problems. Uh, so I ex- impress on the children that they need to be very respectful, um, and they need to think about how their message will come across, and they need to be careful about how they express themselves without wanting to make them scared. 
I've also had that we have the like granny test in our family. We talk about the granny test, which is basically if you would be mortified if your grandmother or your head of school read what you're posting, if that, if that would really embarrass you, then just don't post it. So it's fine to be a bit silly, but if that's really going to cause you a problem, if you're just going to be just want the ground to swallow you up, if your granny reads it, don't post it because it's not going to go away. It's always going to be there. And I think they understand that really well. I know it's re reinforced at school as well, that the teachers talk to them about the kind of job, uh, when they apply for jobs, the kind of searches, online searches that are made. We're talking about plain old repu reputational risk here. I grew up on Wall Street, right? And it's, I mean, there have been so many reputational issues across the financial services industry. Like Maria has the granny test. In finance, there is the Wall Street Journal front page or the Guardian front page test. Don't put anything out there in the internet anywhere that you wouldn't want to see on the front page of, of a paper the next day. That's probably how I would approach it with my son. We actually haven't had that conversation yet, interestingly, but I see what he's posting and I like it, like I said, but um, yeah, probably time to, to have that conversation. It's a very valid point. I see a lot of parents creating accounts for their babies, um, baby kids, and start posting pictures. And then also parents posting pictures of the kids. Um, and I know that teens, for example, are very private. And anecdotally, it's the parents who are the biggest violators of the kids' privacy. Are we contradicting ourselves there? I wouldn't dream of doing it without my son's permission. Mm -hmm. And I actually, the thing there was a court case somewhere, Germany, I want to say, where a teenage girl sued her father. And I think one for something like that it would be interesting to dig it up again. I, I catch myself begging for permission because you kind of, by definition, I guess, proud of your kids and you want to share holiday moments. But I think that's the big realization that it's not, it's not ours to post. For me, it's an absolute no-no. So when the, the kids were really tiny and I was working in, in, for an online magazine at the time, I did use some of their pictures when they were babies because was, that was part of my, my work, but they were non-identifying pictures. But I've never posted stuff on social media. And to be honest, and this is, you know, I know it's maybe a little bit shocking, but I don't use social media myself except for WhatsApp. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I don't use Snapchat or Instagram. I'm aware of what they are. You know, I, you know, I'm aware of what's out there, but I don't use it. it. I also talk to my husband about it and say, look, please don't post stuff to the kids. And even today, so this is the closest I've really got. I'm talking about my children and it's going to go up in a podcast. And I asked their permission. I just, you know, checked with them that it's okay for, for us to, to have this conversation today um, because I think that's, that's just out of respect for them. It's important. That's a very, very vital. Kids are using their um, social media a lot to communicate. What I find very interesting is the role of language. They talk a lot in visual terms, pictures and kind of streaks and snaps and Insta stories. And usually what they say is a lot kind of abbre abbreviated language. What's your view on, um, on how language is evolving? Abbreviations are a little new to me. I see that a lot and I spend sometimes minutes deciphering my son's messages. But look, adults are doing the same. We're all using memes. We're all using emoticons. Uh, I don't think the language will go away, but um, 
it's definitely getting more concise and succinct. And business isn't necessarily a bad thing, actually. But then, as indeed somebody who studied literature and writes poetry, um, I do wonder what's going to happen with the artistic and creative side of language. We use the written word in our in our working lives and also in our leisure lives, right? It's important to all three of us. So I think we're, we're talking, coming from a really similar viewpoint there. And for me, language is a living thing. It has always changed and evolved. It will always change and evolve. I don't really put a, I don't put a value on that. It's, it's alive. That's what it does. It reflects our needs and our circumstances. And that's important because it, language is about communication. Um, so I don't see it as a problem that it changes. The idea, there was this uh, quote about Elon Musk about language dying out. To be honest, I think that's utter nonsense, um, especially on such a shorter time frame. It's, we need to communicate, that's what we do. And yes, our language will change and it will evolve and develop, but we'll still be communicating with each other. Have you heard about digital emotional contagion? There are some studies of, about Instagram, and I'm sure there will be more studies about TikTok and Snapchat, um, just because they are more new. Uh, but something about Instagram is that the more you scroll and the more you see how other people are living their life and you know uh, the people are angry or the people are campaigning or the people are enjoying their life you kind of start almost like participating in that life do you think this has danger of affecting our kids again like their mental health and what are ways for them to be able to kind of keep their sanity well i mean in the instagram world you know everybody has a buff body and has a green smoothie for breakfast right so what's not to like <laughs> with sun shining brightly every day and birds yeah. singing um it's, but it's like a truman show yes <laughs> it's a bit of a truman show it's a lot of a truman show actually but what I, I i think it's an interesting theory there is actually cognitive effect um i'd like to research it more actually the conversation there would be around from my side at least the way i think about it keep it real and also keep it relative because I think what I think one of the dangers there is at least that I can see there are probably many dangers uh, but uh, it's seeing people's wealth and success and you need to understand that and that goes for both kids and adults looking at photos on Facebook Instagram etc um, everybody has their own path don't compare <laughs> That's the way to stay sane and keep it real. My life's my life. This is that person's life. Being aware that it, it, it is not real, even though it's positioned to be hyper real. And even if it is, it's not your life. Kids also, in my experience, the children get that. They know it's curated. They know it's not real. Um, and I think that's, for my son, he's, he's actually said that to me. He, he said he's expressed that he's not really interested in, in Snapchat. He said, because it's not real. He's not interested in seeing what other people are pretending to do with their you know, lives. He wants, he wants something that's real. Um, so, yeah, talking to them about that, making them, getting them to question the thing, which extends to everything now, okay? There's so many sources of information, not just all the social media, but also all the plethora of, of news that's put out there. They have to be so much more on their guard than we did when we were growing up, when everything was pre-filtered for us. They need to question their sources of information. 
Um, they need to not just accept something that's sent to them. The same with Information Centre or WhatsApp. I don't know if you had the same experience at the beginning of the lockdown. It might have been worse here because our lockdown in Spain was really quite severe, as I'm sure you know. WhatsApp was one of the main channels of, of getting information out quickly. And there was a lot, really a distressing amount of false information. You know, that was quite a, a learning curve and just learning to stop, learning to, to resist, never, you know, never press the forward. We also need to encourage the kids to do that, not to mindlessly forward, but to, with all everything that's coming in, to think critically about what the source is. Uh, and whether it's reliable and whether it needs to be to be passed on. Is there something that we haven't touched on? I mean, I know we didn't talk about AI and the future. We are kind of really focusing on the now. But is there something else you would like to add? Well, that's it. about content out there and uh, especially false information, among other things. It's the bots and, and AI being now fully present in any, in any media. And that's a whole new session, I think, Katya, for your podcast. True. Yeah, that, that you're not just even talking to humans anymore, right? You, you don't actually know whom you're talking to <laughs> most of the time. Indeed. Whether you're dealing with this or whether whatever part of life you're dealing with, for me, it's all about, is it a useful tool for me or is it going to be a drain? Um, and just helping the children to understand that. I'm actually pretty confident that they that they will get there faster than we did. Thank you to Alain and Maria for great conversation. And thank you to the kids who have shared a bit of their digital world with us. For me personally, the essence of the conversation about technology and our kids lies in becoming more curious explorers and less critics. Remembering that the themes are the same, need for communication, being social, entertainment and learning. Starting conversations about safety as early as four will create a foundation. Modeling behaviors we're asking for and creating a dialogue about this medium should equip them to eventually walk through that jungle all by themselves, be able to ask for help and mind their own safety. Thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be back with more.